Truth Plus Media. Mother and father always told me if you're gonna do something, give it 110 percent, or not, don't do it at all. So that's what you bring to the court every night. Night in and night out, I'm gonna put on my hard hat <laughs> and get out there and start digging the trenches. That's number two on the X-Men. The timeout was called. Both clubs going at each other. Michael Jordan and Xavier McDaniel having words. Double technicals were called on McDaniel and Jordan. This team is for real. If we, if anybody took them for granted, you know, certainly uh, we realize that you know they're a team to deal with. because the Bulls are the world champion. We're supposed to just lay down and just let them do whatever they want to us. Hey, this is a game. This is a man's game. Seven seconds to go, but the Knicks able to turn it around in the series against the Pistons, and this one is all over. The year was 1992 and the New York Knicks were going toe-to-toe with the Bulls in the playoffs. They were talking smack, fouling hard, and truly believing that they could knock off Michael Jordan. These Knicks were one of the toughest teams of all time. They had a superstar in Patrick Ewing and a supporting cast featuring Xavier McDaniel, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason, and Mark Jackson. With Pat Riley at the helm, these Knicks won 51 games and defeated the Bad Boy Pistons in the first round before falling to the Bulls in a tough-fought seven-game series. This is Forgotten Seasons, a show that rediscovers and relives moments in NBA history. I'm Dylan Dreyfus, the creator of Forgotten Seasons, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking to the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel, an all-star, a consistent 20-point scorer, and one of the grittiest players of the 90s. We're going back to 1992 to relive this Knicks season, Uh, The X-Man, our guest, was traded from Phoenix to New York right before the start of this year, uh, and he played a huge role. Uh, We discussed Patrick Ewing's leadership, playing under the legendary Pat Riley, extremely physical playoff series against the Pistons and the Bulls, and a lot more. This is Forgotten Seasons, and the story of the 1992 Knicks begins now. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome Xavier McDaniel. X-Man, thank you for for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So for those of you that don't know, we got Xavier McDaniel. He was the fourth overall pick, former Wichita State Shocker, uh, all-star, really just one of the toughest guys in NBA history. His coach, Pat Riley, called him a maniac in all the best ways. Uh, today, today, we're going to be talking about the 91-92 Knicks, uh, a team that won 51 games, uh, they were the only team in Jordan's three pe- first three-peat to push the Bulls to seven games. Uh, so just to start out, X-Man, uh, I'm just curious. You get traded from the Suns to the Knicks before this season. Uh, talk to me a little bit just about what the vibe was like in New York City in the early 90s. I'm here now, uh, and I'm just curious what it was like for you, you know, plopping into New York City back then. Just speak a little bit about what that was like. Yes, Um I got traded. I, I, I was traveling all day to Phoenix from Seattle and got into the office and caught Fitzsimmons saying, we just traded your ass. 
<laughs> I looked at him and said, for real? I said, where? He said, to New York. I was like, cool. He said, you're not upset? I said, no, nah, I should have been there last year. I mean, I, I love Tom Chambers. Great guy. We used to hang out. We used to do things together. But the match with, with what they were doing and the way I played just did not match match up. So when I got traded, I was kind of happy because now I knew I was going with Patrick, who was a fierce competitor. Oakley was a fierce competitor. And then myself is a fierce competitor. And so uh, I got there and I just I just enjoyed myself. Had a great time for that one year. I wish it would have lasted longer, but. It is a shame what happened with the contract, and we'll get that get into that later. But what I want to start out with is just sort of the roster breakdown. So outside of yourself, obviously we've got the man, mm-hmm. Patrick Ewing, man in the post, right. uh, your guy. We got Mark Jackson, Gerald Wilkins, Charles Oakley, Anthony Mason. Uh, where I want to start actually is with the coach, uh, Pat Riley, uh-huh. the legend himself. This was his first year in New York. Uh, he won four championships in L.A. with the Lakers. Uh, I've heard you speak about, you know, how much Pat Riley demanded out of his players sometimes before games and shoot around. Uh, he'd have you play like a whole other game before the game. Uh, speak a little bit <laughs> just about, you know, uh, what playing under Pat was like uh, and how he sort of brought, you know, the best and demanded the most out of out of his team. Well, I think we're playing uh, San Antonio. And I had a horrible game and we were at the end of the game. Sean Elliott was blowing by me like in quicksand or something. And uh, we just got into it. And, 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 and I just lashed out at Pat and say, fuck, man, I just played two fucking games. I just, <laughs> I just practiced for fucking three hours and then had to turn around five hours and play a game. And we got in a real big heated match. I'm fucking practicing two and three hours on a shoot around. And you expect for me to come out and play a game and be efficient. I felt like that was unfair because the whole team didn't play well that day. And we got the shit beat out of us. I, I don't regret it. Uh, I, 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 Pat Riley, great guy, call him right now. And, and he'll call me within a couple of hours. I have no ill of, with no one. I just wish that they would have kept us together at least at least two to three years. Uh, I heard you talk a little bit about how, um, you know, the man Patrick Ewing, how, how you would take him, you'd go to war with him over any other big in history. It doesn't matter if it's Akeem, Shaq, uh, David Robinson. Uh, everyone knows that Patrick Ewing was a great player, right? That's no secret. But I think to the extent in that he was on that same level as every other big, uh, every other great big on that time, can you talk a little bit about just, you know, what it was like playing with Patrick and how he sort of led that team that year? Well, he's, he's the ultimate warrior. When you're talking about a warrior, the guy's a warrior, and he's always been from the first time I've seen him play at Madison Square Garden. I mean, this guy, man, I mean, I love him. I mean, this guy practiced for three hours and never say a word and be sitting over there with ice and get up and perform. And and I, was, I went to him. I said, man, coach killing us, man. You got to talk. And he looked at me and said, man, I just do what the coach say. So, I mean, he's a, he's a warrior, man. And a lot of people may look at Akeem Olajuwon and holler about all that footwork. But let's go back to 1983, 84, 85. There was no comparison how better Patrick Ewing was than Olajuwon. Not to take nothing away from the dream because he's a hell of a player too. 
but it's just my preference. You know, you talk to Kenny Smith, he may take Akeem Olajuwon. Mm-hmm. I'm going in the wall with Patrick. Patrick is a – he's been a great player, and especially in his prime, he was very tough. And uh, I would go to war with him any day. Mm, yeah, no, that was great background into Patrick and all that. I want to try and focus back on the the season itself and try and oh. right go back the first ten games or so. You guys are struggling, if you recall the narrative and the storyline around you guys. Everyone knew you were a great defensive team, right? You, Patrick, uh, Oak, Mason. That was no secret. But where you guys struggled sometimes was shooting the ball, right? And that was sort of the challenge, especially in the first few games of the season. What do you remember just from that shaky start? Uh, and how did you guys stay level and stay focused? And, and maybe who is that guy in the locker room that sort of got everyone together, rallied around him and said, you know, just focus on what we got to do. Shots are going to go in. What do you remember from that beginning stretch of the season? Um, yeah, we kind of struggled early in the year you know, trying to find our identity. Um and everybody trying to find their roles. Uh, also, me and Patrick had issues on the block. If I'm on the block, he would come in. And it was just kind of all like, we all just trying to figure it out. I think Mark Jackson was that probably that glue to the team. Um, Patrick was the man, but I think Mark Jackson was really the leader of that group. Uh, in 91-92 season. And it just took us a while to find our group. When you take, they already had, they just added me. And then they added um, Mace first year. Stocks was in his second year, I think. Um, Greg Anthony first year. Everybody trying to find their roles and find their identity on the team. And sometimes that take a while. But once we got it, it was there defensively. Mm-hmm. We knew, we were tough because you know Patrick plays D. O played D. I played D. Mark Jackson plays D. Gerald played D. We the defense was there. It was just trying to get the offense to click click click. I mean click click with the uh, with the defense, and it just took a while. I try to think about sort of that time, the early '90s. The other players in the league, you as one of sort of the premier. Uh, small forward defenders. It was an interesting time because obviously in the 80s, you had a great, great, great foundation of small forwards, right? Larry Bird, Adrian Dantley, Alex English. And then transitioning into the 90s, you sort of have a new generation, Pippen, uh, Mullen, some of the other guys. For you on defense, who are the guys, uh, you know, whether it's a star player or somebody that you thought was a little bit underrated, who are the guys that you enjoyed going up against the most on, on the defensive end? You just name a whole bunch of them, I love. Uh, the, the guard, me and Alex, are, we're not from the same neighborhood, but we're, like, not far. He South maybe, Carolina. South Carolina, maybe three miles from me. And so I, I love playing against Alex. And I'm going to go back to the 80s. I know you want the 90s. But I, I love competing against all those guys. But in the 90s, Pippen was tough because he came in the late 80s. Um uh, Larry Johnson, who was, I would say, a combo of me inside, outside. You know, Good didn't point. have yeah. a lot of great handling, but more of a post-up small forward. Um, I, I, 
playing against him was tough because he was also so daggone strong. You know, when you're finding guys that are just as strong as you, uh, I think when I came in, I was probably as strong as most of the small forwards in the league. But as the 90s started coming around, these guys had some 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 strength. And uh, but Larry Johnson was definitely one of the toughest guys I played against. Um, I, I still don't want to take Dominique Wilkins out because I seen him at the All Star game, and he he told me say, "Hey, you ain't give me no credit, but you know, I used to bust your ass too." And, and and I'm not gonna lie, he used to tear me off. Uh, tough guy, and going into the from the '80s and into the '90s. Dominique was still tough, man. He, I mean, I mean, this guy, just his awkward moves and his ability to hit the floor and bounce back up so quick was also tough. Um, you know, even guarding guys like Sean Kemp was tough because even though he wasn't a small forward, you know, George Carr would always play those daggone crazy lineups. And now you're looking to see who to match up. And I would always match up with Sean and stuff. So um, you got the Ken Normans. Ken, Ken Norman to play with the Clippers. That was tough. That's, a, a, that's, that's, a, that's a forgotten name. Yeah, yeah. A lot of guys, much. man. That, that small four was the ideal spot outside the center going in the 80s and 90s. And that leads me to the next question, going back sort of to the end of the season. You guys have a five-game lead over Boston with eight get eight games left to go. And back then, there were only two divisions. So the two division leaders got the top two spots. So Chicago's right. in one, and then you and Boston are in the other. Uh, and you guys sort of collapsed there at the end of the season, right? If it holds position, you wouldn't have to see Chicago till the conference finals. But the way that it goes, you end up actually losing that lead and then Boston comes back. What do you remember just about that sort of end of season stretch where you guys do sort of fall fall apart and that lead diminishes? Um, right. Does that impact you guys at all going into the playoffs? Mentally? Well, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it impacted us because we just lost the division. Now we are taking the, uh, the fourth spot instead of the maybe the second or third spot because Boston got the uh, number three spot overall, number two seed, but the number three. because Boston, Boston that, was two. It was, it was two. Boston okay, was two, yeah. Cleveland was three, you guys were four. Okay, then that's what it was. But I know we took four, and we and, and so now, yeah, that, that 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 changes dramatics a whole lot because, you know, you want to meet Chicago in that Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but, you know, like I said, we, we had a 13-game lead uh, up until, I think, either right before the All-Star game or right after the All-Star game. So you got, what, March and just April, we had a 13-game lead. Boston goes out west and wins something like 20 out of 21 games. They got on a hot streak. And when we lost that division, that that really sent everybody in a tailspin because now we know we got to play against the Bulls. My thing is, don't matter when you play them, you know, you got to still play them. Uh, if you recall, at the end of the season, you guys played Detroit and got – it was an ugly game. You guys scored 62 points. And that was one of the last games of the regular season. And then maybe a week later, you see that you're playing them. Um, so 
you talked a little bit about sort of the, the collapse and how that impacted you. What I, what I want to talk about now is just the, the construct of Detroit, uh, specifically Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. I think obviously one of the best point guards ever. And from my perspective, when I think of the other great guards, right, you have Magic known for his passing, maybe Steph Curry now with his shooting. Isaiah, everyone knows that he was one of the best, but he doesn't have that glaring skill that distinguishes him from the outside perspective, but from somebody who competed against him, what was, what, what was that one or two things about Isaiah that, that elevated him and made him one of the best ever? It's his play. His play. If he played in this era and the way it is his guard, small ball oriented, do you know Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas dribbled like one of the Harlem Gold Trotters? Mm-hmm. He has one of the best handlers that you ever going to see. In this era in time, he might have averaged 30, 35 points a game easily because he may be, if you want to talk about before your time, I still consider one of the best players in NBA history, but he would be tearing this league up right now if he played in this era. It's a small ball era, and the way they let him play and the way they handle him. I mean, think about it. James Harden comes down, twin the leg, twin the leg, twin the leg, behind the back. Twin leg, twin leg, twin leg, and just do a bunch of stuff, and then just drives on you. Isaiah would—he didn't even have to dribble that many times because he was so good with the ball. He would dominate this league. A lot of guys probably will, but you know the thing is, errors are so different, and I hate comparing them, and I hate saying who's the goat and Me who's too. not. That's I hate stupid. that because how do you determine who's the best player in the era? Some people say Bill Russell, and I I seen the tape on him. I seen this guy jump from the damn free throw line. I'm like, oh, and it was over someone on a layup. Bill Russell, and you uh, jumping from the free throw line, you see him jump over a guy. There's a lot of great players, and the game has evolved, and it's continued to evolve because, you know, the 60s were a certain way, the 70s were a certain way. The 80s were a certain way. The 90s were a certain way. And now to the present is a certain way. The game is going to always change. And so it's for me, it's hard to determine who the best. But Isaiah Thomas is no doubt about 100 years from now will be one of the best players to ever play in the game. A lot of people don't like him because of the bad boy situation. You know, they say he wasn't dirty, but you go back and look at a lot of things Bill did. A lot of things Dennis Rodman did. A lot of things Isaiah did. And, and to a point, Joe Dubars, he's done some dirty things too. They all, Spider, they've all did some dirty things. And so when we had to play him, myself, Oakley was like, one thing we will not do is we will not be bullied by the bully. We're going to bully their asses. Mm. And we're going to talk shit to them all fucking game, you know? And if you go back and you watch any of those games, you will see the whole game. They always try to get in your head with the hard hits. So why not hit their asses hard? And Oakley set the tone. He clobbered the shit out of uh, Dennis Rodman. Mm-hmm. And that kind of set the tone speaking several of, different times. Speaking of Rodman, he averaged – just over 10 rebounds a game this series. 
in the regular season, believe it or not, he was averaging 18 and a half rebounds a game. So you're pretty much cutting his rebounds down in half. And that was your best strength of the team, probably, maybe other than defense rebounding. What was the key to keeping Robin off the boards? Keeping a body on it. Keeping a body on it. And we started off with me on um, Lambeer, Oakley on Rodman, and Patrick on Orlando. Orlando, Real Ridge. Hmm. And so, and then we would just switch it up. They they didn't know how to, to... to players, but if I was them, I would have went at Patrick every time with Orlando Woods ISO, telling him you got to finish strong. But they were more guard orient back then with Isaiah Dumars as the bulk scores for that team. And so we just wanted to keep a big body on him. And then there were times where I would be guarding Robin because they'll come in with Sally. Uh, they were come in with um Orlando or uh and and um Rotman at the three. And my job was don't worry about the rebound, face guard him, put my forearm under his chin, and if I had to ride him under the basket, ride him out under the basket. Mm-hmm. And so it got very frustrating for him. And then the officials wasn't giving him those fake ass calls where he going up for a rebound and flop and shit where they were called offensive foul, they wasn't giving him that in the playoffs. And so um, basically we just we just kicked their ass, to be honest. They were we, – and we used to tell them, shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up, crying to the Fishers. The Fishers, if you go watch it, you see the Fishers laugh. Because we all be like, shut the fuck up, man. Sitting there crying to the Fishers, getting your ass kicked. That's what's happening. Kick my ass. So I would be saying things like that. Oakland would be saying stuff like that. And basically, they're crying to the officials, you know? So we just wanted to be very physical with them. And you did that. And then I think that probably sets you up well, right? So if you can bully the bully with the bad boys, then you're going to the Bulls. And you said, I saw in the newspaper, they asked you after the Detroit series, once you guys win in five, you said that you wanted it to be like for the Bulls, that that you wanted it to be like working a nine to five job in the steel mills of Pittsburgh for them. So, yeah. what does that mean to you? Well, that means bring your lunch pail. You're gonna be working on some steel, <laughs> and it's gonna be hot. It's gonna be hectic, and it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. We wanted to bring blood. We wanted to be physical not to hurt nobody but to be physical all our fouls are hard fouls you know hey i, I played in that game with a concussion game five who can I played with you? a concussion is that uh, when you were down on the ground yeah bill and yeah. he hit me with a shot i wasn't i don't think he meant to do it but he caught me with a shot and the official was right there and that's what i was telling them y'all seen that shit and didn't call it so when i hit a motherfucker don't say shit that's mm-hmm. when they're talking about, well, y'all better calm it down. We're going to kick it. Fucking kick me out the game because you've seen it. So uh, I'm I'm pissed off. I'm furious. And so um, Bulls try to make like things didn't happen to them. That things they had tissue up their nose like they're getting hit. But I got hit several times in that game where I caught some real serious shots from them. 
So it was a physical game because, you know, people don't realize people love Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan does no wrong. And Michael Jordan will foul you. I'm not a dirty player, but he will foul you and say, what? I, what I do? You know you just hit my hand. And, he knows and, exactly and, and, what he's and, doing. Right. And the Fishers does not call that. So I ripped him, and when they throw it, my thing was to wind up and just dunk as hard as I could. And where I should have probably Statue of Liberty and then maybe got a foul, but I didn't do that. But um, fouls are not going to be called in a game seven, and we know that. And just the, that, that whole series, that was a tough series, man. I, I, I don't think I ever played in a decisive game like I did in a game seven. I was, after those seven games, I was literally, I was, I was drained. I was just drained. I was like, yeah, I was, I, wanted, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I was drained after that series. Well, I want to go sort of just quickly game by game because you guys win game one and that's sort of the big wake up call, right? right everyone, everyone right. expecting, right. They don't have a shot. I saw even Walt Frazier said that it would be four one at best. Right. So that, that, that game happens game one, you guys win. And Jordan then says, you know, Nah, this is real. Like, this is going to be a good series. So he's even – you guys send the message to him, and he's like, okay, no, this is going to be real. Then game two comes out. They win. B.J. Armstrong, if you remember, hits a few clutch shots. Uh, they really take away yeah. Patrick, who went off in game one, but now game two he's struggling. And then game three, the Bulls win again. Jordan scores 30. Uh, there's that iconic play where Michael goes up for the dunk. You push him. And then he's pointing at you. And he mm. said after the game to the reporters, you don't want to know what I said. I just did it to hype myself up. Do you remember what he said to you? And I believe it was Patrick who never, was also on the ground. I'd never even seen the play after he did it because we were on the floor tangle up. Mm. They showed it to us during, during the, the next day, you know, when you go over the tape and stuff. And – I'm sitting there like, I should have put his ass on the floor for real. But I tried to hit him enough just to knock him off balance, not hurt mm -hmm. him. But I thought seeing that, first thing saying to me, he may not bring his ass to the hole again. Because uh, the next time, I will floor his ass. And, and so I remember, I don't know what game it was, but I know it was in Madison Square Garden. I get a breakaway, it's me and him. And he fucking leveled me and knocked my head. They don't call <laughs> shit. No, if you remember that. Was and that the same, same the game? No, I'm not sure if the same game. I can't even remember which I game. I saw. I saw. Is that when you threw? You like you smacked the basket? They call a timeout. You were on the ground. That's the one in Chicago. Yeah, where I yeah, yeah. The elbow and yep. I had a concussion. Mm. And this was in. This was in. This was either game four, or game six, because we won it. Can't mm -hmm. remember. And I got the layup and I shield him and he hits me and my head goes back and I'm down. They don't even call nothing. Didn't see it. And I'm sitting there like, there's no way y'all can call us other stuff and not call us. And 
you know, and I, that's why I said when we were replaying Mike down, I would tell him, shut the fuck up. You get all the calls. Motherfucker just follow me and you don't call shit. So I remember in game seven, stocks kind of touched him in the stomach and they called a three-point play. But I got hit. My head got snapped back. And I was a little dazed and stuff. But it's the playoffs. They're going to call some. They're going to miss some. So you just got to keep playing. But, you know, you try to get in the Fisher's head by when the players are talking, you know, Mike talking about this. Oh, shut the fuck up. You just got, you get all the fucking calls. If you're that good, they don't need your help. Tell them motherfucker you don't need their help. That's what I used to do. Fuck you, X. Then it was like, F U X, F U X. I was like, listen to what I just said. And it was Hugh Hollins, I think, or maybe Hugh Evans. I said, Hugh, he don't need your help. Tell Hugh you don't need his help. And I guarantee you, if he don't call the certain things for you, tell him, Mike. He would never say it. He would never say it. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to get in the fishers' head, get into their head a little bit, but it was a great series. Like I said, I I I played in some game five, some 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 series against the Lakers. I've never felt the way I felt after the after the playing the Bulls. It was it was not just physically, but a mental. It was a mental challenge at the at the end. Of, well, I was gonna say mentally. I mean. In all the best ways, like I said, you were just a complete maniac that series, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you just came out there every talking shit, fouling hard, but you were yeah. also balling. Games five to seven or games four to six, you go 24, 26, 24. So you're balling, you're playing a lot. Um, but then eventually, right, I mean, game seven in their house, they sort of just, you know, maybe you guys just didn't have didn't have anything left. I don't know what I shot. That wasn't bad what I was shooting. But we, as a team, we didn't shoot the ball very well. Game seven or the whole series? The game seven. Yeah. Uh, and they were able to pull away from us. Patrick's also um, injured. He he sprains yeah. his ankle game six. Yeah. Well, everybody's hurt, man. I played, yeah. I can tell people, I played fucking with a, with a torn meniscus, a torn uh, cartilage under my kneecap for four and a half months in Seattle in 80, 88. And when you get to the playoff, there's no healthy people. Everybody is hurt. Mm-hmm. I haven't met a player yet that didn't have some type of injury. And so you're gonna when you go into the playoff, man, you try to be as healthy as you can. It's, it's, it's not like first day of camp where nobody got injured. I mean, you play 82 games, and then you go into the playoffs. Depends on how many games you play in round one. Back then it was five-game series. If you swept them in three – or you went to four, or went to five. Some, you had some type of element that was going on with your body. So, you know, I, I don't never use excuses. You know, I know a lot of people, oh, Michael and Scotty, you can tell they, they're hurting. You know, uh, when you go back and listen to the, the back in the day when we would listen to it, and I'm sitting there like, for the last three and a half years, I played with a bum knee. I, I played with, with, with poor hamstrings. I don't make fucking excuses. You, you kick my ass, you kick my ass. If I'm hurt, I'm, I'm hurt, but then don't play. You know, there's a difference between injured and hurt. So um, everybody's kind of banged up and dinged up in the playoffs. And that's where that's where the mental part of the game come in. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that the group wasn't able to stick together, but I think that's part of the reason that, that made it special and that makes it a little bit forgotten because it was sort of a one-year ride and you got so close to, to defeating – probably the greatest team of all time. So 
you know, in another universe, you guys do resign. They bring back you, Gerald and Mark. You think that you guys are, are beating the Bulls? I can see who's beating the Bulls because now you're playing you together got, you, more. You, yeah. You're playing together more. You 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 got an understanding of tough basketball, not just physically but mentally. How to stay in there, and I, I just think that I I, I think that we could have went to the next level. I watched that game against the Bulls, and I'm saying, "Dunk the ball, Charles." I'm looking. Oh. You got to get that ball, and when you're in that middle, and you got to, gotta you block me it. once, and I get it twice. I'm going up and trying to dunk it the second time. I know you are. You know, so I feel I felt bad for Charles, but it's what it is. Nothing you can do. But uh, I just wish we had one, two years left. I just felt like we had a great opportunity to do something special in New York. I, I just felt like, and they stayed with that, pretty much that team. Besides me, Mark, and I mean, the core was, was Oak, Patrick, Mace, Starks, and Greg Anthony. Mm -hmm. I think if you stay with it, and, 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 and that's what was so more, I think, disappointing, because Pat Riley, with the Lakers, he never tore down. He always added pieces to it. They tore down the core, and then added pieces that I didn't think necessarily fit with them. Not to take nothing away from Charles Smith, I think he's a great player, but I felt like I felt that mode of how he wanted to play better than Charles Smith. Charles Smith was more flashy. I was more like Oak I'm, and Patrick. I'm a grinder too. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like if we would have just left it alone, that same core, and add to it, like just like you add Greg Anthony, add through the draft, I felt like we could have – and they still competed for like the next few years until Michael, whatever you want to call it, you know, his retirement, baseball, whatever, going, you know, they went to it and stuff. And it was bittersweet for me because I think Patrick deserves a championship. But I also wanted to be there with him, you know. So, so it was bittersweet for me to see him in that position because, you know, like I said, I was happy for him. But I wanted to be there too, mm -hmm. even though I was in Boston. And so, didn't work out, man. You know, uh, you know, life moves on. Life is life is a lot of ifs, and so we can always talk about what if, and you know. What what could have been? But I I I love playing with Patrick, and I love playing with Oak and Mark, and Gerald Starks and, and Mason. Uh, made some great friends on that team, and, and you know, unfortunate, you know, we're old now. We're old men. Mason is no longer here, and you know, Oakley, you know, wherever he's at, I'm not sure if he's in New York, or Cleveland. And me and Patrick still talk. I hadn't talked to Mark Jackson in years, and. You know, some things going on with Gerald. I uh, tried to call uh, Dominique on him, but didn't get no response back on Gerald. But, and I hadn't talked to Stocks in years neither. So um, it would have been great to see what we could do on a, maybe a two or three-year run, but it didn't happen.
X Man, I, I appreciate your time. This was this was a lot of fun going back to to 1991. Uh, like I said, Special Squad it, it was short lived for you know business reasons. We'll we'll say, but um, not many teams got Jordan to seven, and and you guys were one of them. Yeah, uh, I can't wait to to overlay this audio with some highlights of you going crazy in that series because that'll be a lot of fun to put together and to watch. Um, and uh, appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for coming on. All right, thank you for inviting. Forgotten seasons with Xavier McDaniel in the 1992 Knicks. Man, some wild stories. I hope you all enjoyed. Again, this is Dylan Dreyfus, the creator of Forgotten Seasons. Thank you guys for listening and for your continued support. You can find us searching Forgotten Seasons on Instagram and Twitter and visit truthplusmedia.com for more in-depth looks at these amazing stories from NBA history. And stay tuned, you know there's more Forgotten Seasons on the way.